The Athletic. Hello, listeners. Sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits, and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Coming up, Saints be praised. Championship free-for-all and the search for Celtic's new manager. I'm Andrew Slavin and alongside me on the podcast, senior producer at Motherwell, Laura, I like football again, Brannon. Hello. Yeah, she's smiling on our Zoom call, lovely. And from the Telegraph, he's never stopped loving football. In fact, football loves him more. It's JJ Bull. Hello. <laughs> uh, before we talk about the weekend's action, uh, can we just have a mention on Rangers who dismantled Antwerp 9-5 on aggregate in the Europa League um, some really good goals and a great, well both legs were great to watch um, but they've drawn Slavia Prague in the last 16 they knocked out Leicester uh, what do we think about Rangers in the Europa League? Flying the flag for the coefficient could they go all the way? JJ? I mean they could but uh, there's some really good teams in there like AC Milan and Man United are playing each other I think aren't they so not one of them mm-hmm. will go out I think the Arsenals are still in there and uh, I don't know there's a heap of good teams Rangers are playing really well I need to see them against a team that like in Europe that I know really well <laughs> before I can properly work it out uh, yeah yes like they are they're good yeah I think they're good enough to semi-final who knows Yes. <laughs> Who knows? Don't often get a team that puts nine past somebody in the knockout stages of Europe. They're absolutely on fire. <laughs> the it's goals brilliant. are so good as well. Like the way they've constructed them is really impressive. Like the, everything about the team from back to front is really good, and uh, and they've got so much momentum from domestic football, and they just seem unbeatable. That the confidence that they'll, they'll take into European games, like there aren't really any other teams other than like Manchester City in England or I don't know, from across Europe, like who, who have such dominance in their domestic league at the moment, so it might give them a big advantage when they go into these Euro- Europa League games because that's, yeah, you a, a, big, a big advantage might be the fact that the second leg is at, is at Ibrox, I mean I think that's quite a big deal, what do, you, what do you think Laura, because you just look at Rangers' home record this season and it's incredible having played 20 games in all competitions and won 19 and only drawn once, which was against Benfica. They've got a great opportunity. Yeah, we were saying who's going to stop them. Even a team in Europe can't stop them just now. Mm-hmm. They're doing so well. And I guess we, we kind of watched the first leg of the Antwerp game and we were like, all right, OK, well, they've got a lot of eagles in the bag, so that's going to be precious. But it, they didn't even need it in the end. They're just absolutely unstoppable. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's good news for Scottish football, that's that's for sure. But Rangers looking likely to be winning a trophy very soon. Uh, they weren't in action at the weekend, but we are going to talk about someone, well, some club that did win silverware on Sunday. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Captain with the header, there's Rooney! He's done it again! Sean Rooney! St Johnson secured the second major trophy in their history and their first ever League Cup with a 1-0 win over Livingston at Hampden on Sunday. It's the first trophy won by someone other than Celtic for five years and it's their second in seven. It's been a really good time to be a St Johnson fan, I suppose, Laura. Yeah, just when you're saying that there, the last time a team that wasn't Celtic won the Cup was in summer 2016 that's nuts I mean I don't know about you guys but my life was very different in summer 2016 (laughs) (laughs) a lot has happened since then Um, I think it's it's great just to see somebody different lift the trophy for once Um, but as you're saying yeah brilliant for St Johnson absolutely fantastic time for them to be to be a St Johnson fan it's so so unfortunate I know I know I sound like a broken record here but so unfortunate for these fans who did not get to have their day in Hamden yesterday. I, I just feel so sorry for them. I, I, this this doesn't come around... Well, I would normally be saying this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Luckily for St Johnson, who are now the 
second most successful team in Scotland in terms of uh, silverware, they actually had their chance, I guess, was it seven years ago in the Scottish Cup? So these fans are quite lucky having it come round again. But my God, these ones that were there at Celtic Park in 2014 will know exactly what it feels like to be in the stadium for a, a winning cup final and just feel so sorry for them missing out yesterday. Let's let's talk about the game. Um, I mean, standout performer, Sean Rooney, uh, with the only goal. He got man of the match as well. Uh, I mean, just he's been excellent for weeks really, JJ. But what did you think about the cup final? Yeah, Sean Rooney is best player in the park, weirdly. I didn't see that coming. Haven't haven't seen that coming for a long time. Uh, <laughs> he suits that wing-back role and the way that St. Johnson play where the opposite wing-back gets on the end of the first wing-back's cross means that if play is always down the left and it arrives in the box for Rooney to head it and he's a bit of a bruiser. Like he's really... Um, he knows how to time his runs and he... He wins his battles. Like the goal he scored at the corner, it's just him basically out muscling. I think two players are on him trying to get close to him and they can't. He just has a, he has a like a hand on one of their shirts, just holding them off. It's John Guthrie, uh, I think it is. Yeah, is it Guthrie? I thought it was Serrano. Like, well, like, whoever it was, he had him. He, he had them, and uh, I think Livingston were trying to zonally mark it, and he got ahead of the first guy to get that header in. So the, Livingston will be disappointed with the way that they've defended that corner because that's something they've addressed as their weakness to set pieces, but. That's where Johnson managed to get them. They were poor set pieces for most of the season. Like they've conceded a heap of them. But uh, it's one of the things that we found under Martindale that uh, they corrected that. It's something we spoke about with John Guthrie, actually, a few weeks ago. He just said that's one of the main focuses they had in training. Um, however, Livingston were absolutely hoarse in this game. Like, <laughs> dreadful. From start to finish. Uh, I think it took about 15 minutes before the, any team calmed it down. It was like they were throwing a grenade at each other for the first 15 minutes. And then mm. I think Johnson just were a lot calmer after that and managed to keep the ball a lot more. And I think you can see the game reflected in the managers. You had you had Callum Davidson dressed like he was going to his own wedding. I mean, that's what you would go to. And you had... <laughs> that's normal, though. Yes, yeah. And you had David Martindale dressed like he's just come back from cost cutters. Like, <laughs> but Martindale... Because this is the thing, he was trying to play it normal, right? So you, you don't treat it any differently. You dress in your normal like tracksuit on the side of the pitch... And then maybe that helps the players take to it like a normal game. It did not work. And then you had Martindale screaming from start to finish, just screaming at his players. And it reminded me of that old, like, I can't remember what the joke's from. Uh, the beatings will continue until morale improves. That sort of thing. <laughs> just yelling at them, yelling at them, yelling at them. Like, going oh, for sake, when things weren't going right. <laughs> Whereas uh, Davidson, really calm, like, really composed on the... And, he said he didn't enjoy any of it. Was it 10 seconds or something he said he enjoyed the game? Yeah, yeah. the final 10 seconds was the only part of the game he enjoyed <laughs> uh, with Sean Rooney running it up the wing and wasted time. <laughs> well, that was, I mean, the game was actually good fun to watch. It was not good football for a long mm. time. But I think St. Johnston tactically were better. I think they controlled wide areas. Livingston were trying to go direct from back to front all the way through and never deviating from it. And they kept putting on more like attackers later on just as though mm. that would make a difference. And, and it didn't. And it kind of reminded me of when, um, uh, like, I remember that Manchester City game when they beat QPR to win the league in, in England. And uh, one of the big changes that they made in that game was to not put on a striker. It was to put on a holding midfield player who could better allow them to get forward and up the pitch. And that's the kind of thing that I wonder whether Martin Dale would have done differently, is whether, rather than putting on more forwards to try and aim it towards, they put, like, Emmanuel Thomas on just as a focal point for long balls. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, his first touch is okay, but his choice of pass and his actual execution of it is not good. And he's an Arsenal graduate, which is weird. Yeah, he couldn't keep hold of the ball. So Johnson kept it much better, especially in the final third. Much more composed, used the wings better. And yeah, I don't think Glimson can have any complaints about losing that game. There was there was another thing I noticed where Martindale had deployed Marvin Bartley, who's a defensive central-minded midfielder, on the left side. And that I think that was to try and, to try and stop uh, Sean Rooney. Exactly. Um, yeah. But it didn't really plan out that way. It was just an odd person to, to put, because I think Sean Rooney's got far more pace than, than, than Bartley, and Bartley's just better in the midfield. But is that is that somewhere where Martindale maybe thought too much tactically, rather than sticking to his old kind of thing of just playing the way they have been playing? Yeah, maybe it's easy to say that, though. It's the same as you say for sure. any manager when they make a big change like that and it doesn't work. You say, well, they've outthought themselves. But yeah, you did wonder that. It makes sense tactically to try that. Um, and if you kept him quiet, it would have been like, what a great idea that was to stop mm, him doing, yeah. stop I, him doing I it. I don't know. I feel like the, the Martindale did kind of overthink it in a way. I think kind of 
part of the success that they had on this unbeaten run, what was it, 14 games unbeaten mm-hmm. run, they that there there wasn't too much tactical thought went into the the kind of the lineup, the setup, the the movement on the pitch and everything. It was just go out there, enjoy your football and go for it and I think that's why everyone kind of almost fell in love with Livy for that period and really kind of got on board with that Livy train and, and the Martindale train in that sense but he did kind of overthink it in this way kind of going for the diamond shape and changing it around and, and things like that although in saying that I think he made the right changes at the right time I think he, he detected that they needed to play more to the feet and more creative and attacking players. And he did that by bringing on the likes of was Alan Forrest came on and, and Sybil came on. Um, so he did make the right changes, but in essence, St Johnson were just far too good for them. I wonder if Martindale was thinking about the last time they played St Johnston because Definitely. St Johnston ended the, their 14-game unbeaten run. And oddly enough, history repeating itself with Sean Rooney uh, scoring the winning goal against February. But we, we should turn this around um, to, to celebrate St. Johnson, celebrate um, Callum Davidson as well, uh, and shout out to Florida Cafe as well, who were celebrating that Davidson came for a cup of coffee uh, <laughs> to enjoy before the cup final. They, they tweeted that out or something like that. Um, What's Florida Cafe? What's that? Just a cafe in, in Mount Florida near the stadium. Uh, that were able to do takeaway and uh, Murray David- Callum Davidson um, went for a wee coffee pre-game calm his nerves maybe uh, but here's a guy who, who was involved <laughs> nothing more calming than a, a cup of caffeine yeah, full coffee it. that'll really cool <laughs> you down oh, there's one thing I was going to say about the Scottish League Cup as well as um, obviously St Mirren didn't reach the final but I think they should think of themselves having already won the cup because they, be- they beat Rangers on the way and normally, <laughs> the way you win a cup is by beating one of those. So in a way, I think St Mirren have also won the Scottish League Cup. Uh, and in another way, I think Ross County have also won the Scottish League Cup. Maybe from Celtic. <laughs> so they can be okay. very pleased. Everyone Football's the winner, really. Yes. I, just so you were saying, just when you kind of mentioned Murray Davis there by mistake, I, I think as a wee kind of note to him, I felt really sorry for him listening to his post-match interview yesterday. Yeah. It's the guy who missed out in 2014 through injury. Uh, in the Scottish Cup final against London United and he described that then as the worst day of his life, missing out. But then now he's saying that now he missed out yesterday um, through injury again. He got injured against Rangers a couple of weeks back and he, I think he found out on, I think it was Tuesday, just during the week, that he wasn't going to get back in time for the final and he said that those two days were the worst he's ever felt in football. He said he felt he'd let, he'd let his family down and this is a guy who's he's 32, very unlikely to ever have a chance like this again. So you, you can't, I, just, I feel very sorry for him. On the other hand, Liam Craig, that was his first cup final at the age of 33. There is a great photo of him down on his knees, uh, taken from really quite high up and far back, probably from the press box. Um, and all you see is just the grass and the confetti lying on the grass. And it's just him. Like, like 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 crouched to his knees and he's just taking it all in and it's such a lovely sight to just see somebody who's clearly wanted this for so long in his career mm. and he, he's finally managed to grasp it. Something else I thought was really interesting about Johnson's performance, not in terms of tactical or whatever, but uh, the way that Rooney and Kane, I thought, played it, they played it with the mentality of people who are going to win the game. And uh, I'll try and describe what I mean by that. So Rooney was trying to wind up Bartley all the way through. Like he was at it, doing things like, like he got bumped into early on and he went and started playing with the linesman. But from then on, uh, he started doing things like keeping the ball a bit longer than he needed to at free kicks. Um, just doing little sly things off the ball. You're watching him, he was doing little bits and pieces. Kane was doing things where he would um, uh, leave a bit in on the defender when he's trying to hold it up. And then when he felt a bit of contact, he would go down when he needed to really clever like kind of dirty play like the kind of thing that really annoys you when you're arts. playing against it yeah it's really devious and it but it works so well it's that kind of uh, the way you get over the line is by not not bending the rules but playing the game the way it needs to be done and it makes the other team really wound up Laura do you like the dark arts <laughs> of course I do I thought <laughs> you hate diving yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> One last thing I was going to say on uh, Sean Rooney uh, in his post-match interview, he said uh, he was joking, saying if he'd played he as in Callum Davison, if he played me earlier in the season, we may have been higher up the league. <laughs> I think that's great. It's the sort of cheekiness you only ever get when you've won a, a massive game like that. Um, I did see a few St Johnston fans tweeting, um, having not so much digs, but sort of um, asking how many good games you have to have before you're considered for Scotland. 
Um, oh, I, I knew it was going to come up. Really for Scotland. <laughs> uh, Let's just not get carried away here. But I, Is this coming from the Stephen O'Donnell fan club here? <laughs> um, Given he's a Motherwell player. Um, although, no. <laughs> Look, <laughs> Scotland need right backs. This is, right wing backs. We play back three. Absolutely no secret that it is the position that we struggle in the most. Um, I don't know. I, we could do it like a world class striker. That would be nice. <laughs> but, um, I mean, people are like going, oh, well, he should be in the squad. He should be in the squad and stuff. But hold on a minute. Players like him need games like this to be noticed. That's not going to single handedly get him a call up, but it's going to put him in a position where the, the coaches and the management and the scouts all go, well, hold on a minute, he is somebody who's eligible, who's in a position that we need to fill, and they'll start to look closely at him now. It's similar to if you look at Lyndon Dykes. He was somebody who, everyone just sort of went, oh, yeah, he's, like, yeah, he's eligible, right? But he began to become a serious contender for Scotland Cup when he scored the against Celtic that time when Livingston beat them. And it's a big game like that when you do something huge, that really kind of puts you in a position to then go on and prove yourself further. So it's one thing just kind of half-heartedly going, oh, he should be in the Scotland squad. It's like, right, okay, well, steady on. But now's his chance, go on, prove it then. The one thing in his favour with that is that because of the system that Steve Clark plays, there's very few right wing-backs and it's a different position to full-back. And uh, that could be one of the reasons that you'd even start to consider that coming in. The same way that Dykes fit the system because you need somebody to hold the ball up and there's just no one really in Scotland who can do that. There's going to be a lot of players in Scotland trying to perform at their best level to get into Steve Clark's mind. Um, but looking at Livingston and St Johnston, it's it's a shame for St Johnston really because they they can't they don't have a lot of time to celebrate this when they're in action as are Livingston on Wednesday night. Um, and Livingston are up against Rangers uh, at the Tony Macaroni, and St Johnston are up against Hamilton. It's hard for both clubs to to try and get yourself back into the mindset of, of match day again when one team's facing a, a disappointment and the other's trying to get themselves back to reality, Laura? It's, it's very difficult, I think. I mean, I, I'm speaking purely as a, a fan of... Well, as a Scotland fan who gets... My games come round like maybe six times a year and I suffer a, a kind of international hangover after these games because then I'm like, right, I've built myself up so much for something that I've enjoyed so much and now I have to snap back out of it and go back into domestic football again. And I kind of struggle with that kind of crossover. And I know it's absolutely nothing like playing the cup final and winning or losing, but it's that way you've got to just switch your brain right back into business again it's status quo it's what we do week in week out that's that fun part is being gone and to not even have a chance I mean in Covid times St Johnson can't even go out and celebrate the way that they, they would be able to I mean I remember when St Mirren won the League Cup god it must have been nearly a decade ago now um, the players were all out with the fans in pubs in Paisley for about two straight days and the stories coming from that were brilliant. And it's just something that this, the players and the fans are kind of missing out on this time. So maybe from that element, there's a sense of normality and they'll get back to things quicker. But this game, the game coming up, a midweek, a midweek game is so harsh. It's so <laughs> harsh. Well, up next, we're going to discuss all the Premiership action. And Neil Lennon has left Celtic. OK, Mr Lennon, so that's 15 first-class return tickets from Glasgow to Dubai, eight twin suites, poolside passes, karaoke system, one extra large shamrock flag and a Steven Gerrard piñata. Aye. And would you like to ensure your trip, sir? Eh, uh, no. Well, what could possibly go wrong, eh? With Paddy Power's Acura Insurance, you get a free bet if one leg of your four-plus-fold Acura doesn't, uh, go to plan. Hey, Celtic? Paddy Power! Max should bet £10, win odds 1-5 to five on each leg, online exclusive, exclude shop bets, exclude enhanced match odds, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begumbleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Life after Lennon for Celtic began with a 1-0 win over Aberdeen on Saturday. Neil Lennon has resigned uh, from Celtic. He resigned on Wednesday morning after the defeat to Ross County last Sunday. Uh, not a shock, really, uh, that he's gone, but that it took so long for him to go. Uh, we kind of expected him maybe to ride it out until the summer. 
Um, but some say that we shouldn't forget the good that he did for Celtic in his first spell when he won three titles and then secured nine in a row. Has he tarnished his legacy for maybe staying on too long though, Laura? Uh, well, I mean, let's look at it first. Yes, it was, I think, strange timing. Um, I think the, the sceptical supporters out there will question whether he resigned um, and what this has to do with possible upcoming season ticket campaigns. Um, but that's just what some fans are saying, saying online. Um, I think his legacy may have been tarnished for now. Uh, because the pain of losing the 10 is still hurting them so much. It's such a fresh wound right now. But in the the long term, then I think that might fade a bit um, and fans will start to kind of see just how massive an achievement the nine is. Um, if Lennon had walked after the League Cup defeat uh, to Ross County, I think he would have been respected a lot more for that. I mean, that was November. So if he'd maybe come out and said, look... There's still a chance to turn this around. I'm maybe not the right person for the job, but someone else can come in and close the gap. I think fans would have taken to that quite well. I think Lennon's too proud to come out and say something like that. But I think that may have helped his legacy at the club for now. But I think you're really only going to be able to come back in maybe five, ten years to kind of grasp just how much fans are really kind of hmm. being all reflective the, all, on it. All the spotlight was on John Kennedy uh, taking charge of Celtic. Um, he's 37, he retired as a player at Celtic, he was only 26 and it was injury that, that, that took him out of, of contention of playing again. He's been part of the Celtic scouting network, uh, the coaching setup over the last decade. He declined a move to Leicester when Brendan Rodgers went there to stay with Celtic. If he wins his remaining games at the club, JJ, is he in with a shout of, of taking the job full time, do you think? It'd be funny like, if he does do really well and the team plays well. Like, you know, they don't just get wins, but they actually play well, and you can see some sort of change in it, which would be very hard to do with the part of the season that they're in and how long there is left. It makes sense if the board were to decide to give him time, but I don't know. I think you have to make these decisions really carefully. They need someone who can come in and um, if maybe do a bit of a rebuild. I think they'll lose a few players in the summer. There's a few coming, not towards not the end of their contract, but I think they've got like a year left. I think players like Christie and I or people like that, I'm, I'm sure they've got like maybe one or two years left. So either need to sell them now to get the money that they need of it. Edward's another one. Um, so they need to sell to get that money in to keep that business model going. And that would require uh, rebuilding anyway, or they're going to have to have someone who can, you know, they've got a plan for the future. There's a lot of big names they get linked with, but I think a lot of it's, it's unlikely as some of them. I think that it's a really good job for someone like Kennedy who is young and ambitious. And like Rogers, I think the link with him going to Leicester, that's that should speak a lot for how well considered he is in coaching circles. Rogers is one of the most highly regarded coaches in like European football. Anyone you talk to in management or whatever loves Brendan Rogers. Players all love him. Um and his coaching methods are pretty much used across the board now. So but you look at when they took Rodgers in and that changed the game in Scotland. That I mean, they were untouchable when Rodgers came in and made that sort of difference. So maybe there's someone like Rodgers who just needs a chance at a club who it's pretty easy to win stuff with, relatively speaking, um, which would make their CV look good. Like, for example, Paul Lambert is a really highly rated coach. <laughs> he is. I've spoken to a few different players and coaches and stuff like that who played or worked with Paul Lambert and he is really highly regarded as a coach, um, just because he's had bad uh, results, this sounds stupid, because he's had bad results <laughs> at various clubs, doesn't mean he's not good. Like his win percentage at Stoke, right, was 13%. That is not good. Uh, his, no, but like the, the clubs he's managed, right, so he started at Livingston, we'll ignore that, but he did Wickham, Colchester, Norwich, did well at Norwich, did really well at Norwich, um, did okay at Aston Villa, difficult circumstances he's under. Blackburn, yeah. Wolves, did okay, 40%. Well, 42.4% is his win percentage. And yes, this is off Wikipedia. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can rely on it sometimes. <laughs> the thing is, like, someone like Paul Lambert, who's worked at a high level in England, taking him into Scotland, uh, he'd have to relearn what's going on, everything. But he's meant to be a good coach. I don't see why that wouldn't be a good appointment just now. I mean, Stephen Gerrard's was a, a big one and so I think some people keep saying they want someone like Steven Gerrard to come in like 
Frank Lampard or someone from that generation <laughs> of players? No. From, from looking at some of the responses on Twitter to Paul Lambert among Celtic fans, I think it's a really negative response. Oh, is that right? Uh, because obviously Paul fans. Lambert, has, with him uh, leaving uh, Ipswich um, over the weekend, his odds have shot up slightly. Um, but there's 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 a number of names kicking around, and an odd one really. Let's go through them. Out what have we got from from Man City? Um, Enzo Maresca, um, who is I think the elite development coach um, or uh, manager at Man City, and and this is came and born out of the fact that I think Celtic are also interested in bringing across um, a chap called Fergal Harkin, who is um, Man City's football partnerships manager, and he would potentially be in the frame for for taking a director of football type role at Celtic. So there's a link there and I think maybe some people have thought Enzo Maresca could be could be an interesting end. He's never managed before but he has been assistant uh to Manuel Pellegrini at West Ham. He was assistant at Sevilla. Maybe he's ready for the step up to management. But then you've got the likes of, you mentioned Brendan Rodgers someone like that um and someone who's young and stepped out of management recently um and seems to be Number one choice for for a lot of Celtic fans, Eddie Howe, um, obviously leaving Bournemouth yeah. last summer. I think I've taught this before. I've got this this theory based on age with football managers that if you don't yeah. win something before the age of forty three, you don't win anything. You're never really consistently successful. You're not a great manager, basically. Um, Eddie Howe, I think, won promotion with Bournemouth yes. a couple of times, which puts him in the bracket of being a good coach. But he hasn't really done anything since then. I think he could have done with leaving them a little bit earlier, to be honest, because he mm, hit that ceiling. Mm. And the managers who do, <laughs> in this really weird, hard-to-define theory, they tend to they do a little bit of... They achieve something quite good, like promotion at that. Then they move on to a bigger club, you mm, know, and they, and they mm. keep moving, and that's how they, they get around. And often it's, it's yeah, managers in Europe who seem to have less of an issue going between countries to manage, because so, I guess so they speak would, more in English. Is Enzo stranger more than for you, given he's 41? Yeah, because honestly, I hadn't heard of him before today. So that's the thing. Like, You can go in and do your research on him, but I don't know who he is. Maybe I'm sure they'll do their due diligence and find out exactly what he's all about. Um, but you can't know how good they are until you've seen them manage. He might talk the talk. He might know all very well. Someone like that at Celtic, they go in and don't do well at the very start. You start getting negative chat yeah, about it yeah. I mean Lambert sounds like a negative one already I hadn't even thought of that I've seen <laughs> Sean Dice's linked now he is a brilliant manager yeah. uh, but I don't know if he'd want to leave the Premier League in England I mean he'd win stuff with Celtic absolutely you would but, would he but go? where would his next I mean is, is Celtic a stepping stone for managers that have, have plied their trade down south that's the yes. thing you look at it Brendan shows Rogers, you can win he comes to get up back to with my theory so like mm. if you go to Celtic it means you can win stuff so then you can get <laughs> so, you take so that with box that, you win at a certain age with, with that in mind someone we know is a very good manager Steve Clark Laura has been linked with this job Get your hands off Steve Clark. <laughs> Keep your hands off Steve Clark, says Laura. Um, he's an odd one, right? The time that he uh, came out in the press after receiving flack from, from Rangers fans saying he received sectarian abuse while he was at Kilmarnock. He seems quite comfortable in the Scotland job. He wouldn't move out of that, would he? Yeah, I genuinely do not see this one happening. Um, I think he's been quite vocal on how much he doesn't like the toxic football that happens in the west of Scotland, uh, that whole sectarianism thing. Why would you then jump headfirst into that goldfish bowl of hate if you're quite ferociously against it? Um, I think he's also at the peak of his career. He's um, he's an international manager. He's going to the Euros. I know obviously it would be after the Euros um, that he'd probably take over if he was to take the Celtic job. But why would he take a demotion? He's he's at the top right now. Um, it's it's quite a cushy job when you think about it. He's he's getting to work remotely. He's it's essentially quite a part time role um, in the sense of you're not on the training ground day in day out. You get a bit more time and and flexibility. Um, and he's he's getting to be down south a lot more with his family. I just I cannot see why he would choose to change that. Well, we've seen managers of Scotland leave for club football before. Walter Smith taking the Rangers job and Alex McLeish going to Birmingham. 
that was an odd one. Uh, there's another. There's loads of names as well. Leonardo Jardim as well, ex Monaco manager. Could be Jardim an interesting one too. <laughs> yeah, I mean great. everyone's going to get linked. Um, I've heard someone say Henrik Larsson, but he's coaching at Barcelona. Why would he leave there? Well, I don't the thing know. is, you maybe know. he would be good, and he's got that get the fans on side. That's the thing. There's a bit of a separation between board and fans at the moment, isn't there? The club's not had a great time recently. True. The appointment they make. It would be a good idea, I would think, for them. Well, obviously, it has to be someone who knows how to manage a football team and build a football team, but also someone who um, can deal with a, a club of the magnitude of Celtic. So maybe someone who understands it a bit. And uh, yeah, who knows? He was a good footballer, so he must be a good manager. <laughs> yeah, and he'll bring Messi with him. So everyone's going to be great. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the football, though, uh, and the win over Aberdeen. And JJ, I kind of felt watching this game, Aberdeen their performance level and the performance in, in total was a lot better than previous weeks. Would you agree? Uh, they were okay for the first like eight minutes or something and then they conceded and then they seemed to drop. And McInnes basically said that in his post-match interview, actually. Yeah. Confidence kind of dropped. Second half... Um, <laughs> now, I don't want to be overly critical, right? So, second half, the um, Dean Campbell came off, Callum Hendry came on. So it went from a 3-5-2 to 3-4-3, three, 3-4-1-2, three, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea was that they know that Celtic cannot defend crosses into the box, so you put players wide so you can get the ball in the box. They had McGinn on the pitch specifically to, to be able to get the ball in the box. And uh, Aberdeen were winning like, every first ball, mm-hmm. every single time the ball went in the box, they so winning that. Celtic terrible at defending it, um, but Celtic good at getting the second ball because Aberdeen aren't really set up for second balls, weirdly. And... Uh, Although Aberdeen were much better in the second half, I think Celtic dropped back and got nervous. They were really, really poor. Like, Celtic were bad in this game. Yeah. And uh, Aberdeen, I think, should have done a bit more. But, uh, was it good? Like, the thing is, so you take Campbell out, and you've got Ferguson joining in the attack, sort of. So, the way Aberdeen play is get the ball over the midfield as quick as you can and try and hold yeah. it up and go from there. So, the tactics made sense. Get rid of the midfield. <laughs> So you take Campbell off to stick two guys in there, but really it's only one because McCrory's always back and Ferguson's always going forward. So it's like a defence and an attack part of a team. There's no middle. And the ball yeah. goes over the top of it. And that's how they were pushing but, them. And they, but, they pressed but, them well at the end. McInnes yeah. was, I think, pleased at the performance level in the fact that the next two games are really important because um, Aberdeen going into the post-split games, they've got Hamilton and Dundee United, and they are must-win games for, for Aberdeen. Yeah, but every game is a must-win game, Andrew. But oh. yes, I mean, well, I mean, it is, isn't it? It's, um, another thing tactically, like, so they stopped Scott Brown later on by putting McGinn more in, more in the central position, just behind two strikers, and then that stopped Celtic being able to control possession. And the players with the most touches, as McKinnis pointed out at full-time, was uh, Welsh and Brown. Mm. So if everything's constructed like through lines, through Scott Brown, mark him earlier. Do it in, the, like, do it in your pre-match planning. It's the first thing I would do. Like, yeah, but I, I, I think Celtic played a lot uh, more conservatively than they have all season. And I, I think I heard that um, they had over 400 passes in the first half and that dramatically changed in the second. Mm-hmm. And McInnes had obviously changed it for that reason. Um, but look, we, we look at Celtic and for me, I see a really fragile team. Um, you've kind of intimated yes. that as well, JJ. They were not but, good. but one team who have been really fragile of late um, that got a really massive win at Easter Road on Saturday was Motherwell, uh, helping their relegation fears. 2-0 it ended, a goal and an assist for Jordan Roberts. I mean, is he one you get in at the fantasy team now, Laura? You can give us the inside scoop. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, firstly, I love football again. <laughs> yeah, <Yay>. maybe. <laughs> uh, before we even touch on the individual players, yay! How good does it feel to win a game? <laughs> it felt great on Saturday. Um, performance of the season for Motherwell, I'd say, and result of the season as well. I think it's such a massive three points that could go such a long way in helping Motherwell for the rest of the campaign. Um, Individually, you're saying Roberts? Yeah, I mean, second start for Roberts. He looked very lively in his first start against St Mirren during the week. He's on loan from Hearts, isn't he? Yes, he is. Um, so <laughs> even better place for him to go to and make such an impact. So a goal and an assist. I don't know if you saw his, um, his Instagram after the game. 
he posted a photo of um, somebody had left a note on his door, on his front door, saying um, something, let's just say he was a happy jambo, <laughs> something along the lines of get in there um, and bleep, bleep, bleep the hibs um, and from Bobby down the road. <laughs> so he made one of his neighbours very happy with that goal. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he's he came in for a wee bit of criticism from Hearts fans when he signed. Um, and a lot, okay, so, you know, you get when fans of opposition teams know about them, they'll kind of be like, "Oh, good luck, good luck, mm-hmm. yeah, have fun with him." Um, and it's great to see that he's he's kind of silencing these these people because he's came in here totally blank canvas. Um, no one's judged him on anything before. I mean, I personally haven't seen him play before for Hearts, so it's great. We're, we're judging purely what he's doing for Motherwell, and he's he's doing well so far. He's he's looking really energetic, and it's that kind of spark that we're really needing in terms of attacking um, and it's, it's, it's looking really really good. Motherwell were missing a lot of players last week and then you you, you had the likes of O'Donnell coming back and Campbell coming back um, and Motherwell looked far more assured. Is, is that is that something that you need to, to allow the strike force that you have because Devante Cole's been excellent since Alexander's came in, 5-11. and 11. Is it that kind of structure that Motherwell have missed in recent weeks? Sorry, I'm just laughing because my cat won't show up. She's demanding food right now. Yeah, listeners should know Laura has a cat. And I that's don't know if you can hear her, but she's like the musical background to this entire segment. Anyway, trying trying to ignore her and, and, and talk about all good things about Motherwell. Um, no, um, sorry, Andrea, I barely hear what your question there. But in terms of players coming back, yeah, it's um, we had Declan Gallagher obviously came back on. Um, he's been missing since kind of the, the end of the, the in January, I think it is, with an injury, hamstring injury. Stephen Lawless came back from injury as well. He looked really strong when he came in, um, really kind of sharp and energetic when he came onto the pitch. Um, and it's just that sort of slowly getting the players back that's really going to help, not only uh, obviously on the pitch, but it's going to help strengthen that competition as well, which is exactly what we need to just kind of drive these players on just now um, and really push for something and to kind of have that competition around them to, to push them on further. One of the problems they'll have going forward is that... Uh... The man, like Graham Alexander, the manager, can now only respond to any question that anyone ever asks him by saying, yeah, my players were brilliant today. So when he went home <laughs> that night, even, his wife would say to him, how was football? Well, my boys were great. <laughs> and it's a shame for him to be stuck in that endless loop. Um, your own red card at the end of the game, does that tarnish it in any way for you? What a great result it was today, wasn't it? It was. My it, boys. I they were fantastic. It, it was a fantastic result, brilliant Graham. Result. Can you say anything at all about your red card? They were brilliant, weren't they, the players? Yes, the, the way they went about I'm the agreeing game, with you. I'm so proud of my team. I'm today. absolutely agreeing with you. And my club, and I thought they were fantastic. But I have to ask you about your red card. Will, will we answer the question, or can you yeah, answer? My players it? were brilliant, weren't yeah, they? They were. They, yes. And that's all I want to talk about is how good my players were today. So the weird thing about this game, right? So Hibs had way more of the ball. They had like way more possession. They had 546 passes to Motherwell's 269. Mm. And uh, the interesting part of that for nerds. Um, that the average pass streak, this is on who scored, was four for Hibs, which implies that they keep the ball and move it around a bit. You know, it's not a huge number four, but uh, no. Motherwell's is two, which implies <laughs> <laughs> it goes from one place to the other rather quickly and then does not stick. And to play that kind of passing football that Hibs do, they have to open up the pitch more and make it wide, which is why when you look at things like average positions or whatever, you'll see they're always really quite stretched. But the the same flaws were in this Hibs team that were there last season where they were totally devoid of any sort of bite or, or steel in the middle of the pitch, and Motherwell put everything through the middle. And so, like, the goal, the first goal they scored, I think it was just like a turnover quite high up the pitch, just ran straight through the middle and right to score. And then the second goal was at the start of the second half, as I called it, a Coles goal, wasn't it? Yeah, start of mm-hmm. the second half. And you could see that uh, Ross was just, like, not having it. Nothing had obviously sunk in and made changes straight away, um, put Gogic on, um, put Boyle out wide rather than up front and put Nisbet on and he put Portis on because it was McGregor's error for not not dealing with like a pretty easy aerial battle. It was like he's he was playing well a little while ago, McGregor, but he was just way off it in this game, just not really getting stuck in. Um, I mean, you'll have seen it outside the pitch, Laura, but I don't even, I don't even know if Motherwell were, were that good. I think they just... The tactical setup worked very well against how Hibs were playing, but Hibs mostly shot themselves. I think you're maybe doing a wee bit of disservice there from other one in terms of saying that they weren't that good. I think. Oh no, that's what I want to ask you. Like, if you think they were, if they were good, because 
Like there's a difference between being good individually and good as a team. Like the t- the tactical setup made total sense and they did it well, but they didn't really dominate against Hibs. But they sort of had control of the game. It's very odd. Yeah, I I think the, they were definitely dominant in the sense of that they, they knew exactly what they were doing, um, where to be, when to be there, and and working as a unit, as a team, and knowing where each other were going to be each time. I think. In terms of um, looking over the, over the course of the season, uh, we'll, I think we'll always kind of hark back to maybe that first 20 minutes, half hour against Aberdeen at Pataudry when uh, Motherwell went 3-0 up um, as probably our best attacking performance of the season so far. But in terms of overall performance, I would say the game against Hibs was night and day compared to what I've watched pretty much all season, I would say. It was a standout. Um, okay, there weren't chances after chances after chances um, and it wasn't full on attacks but it doesn't have to be to be to obviously to play well I think they just everyone knew exactly what they had to do to control and Hibs Hibs are third in the table remember this was a game I don't think any Motherwell fan really expected to come away from Easter Road with anything going into this game so to not only put in such an assured controlled performance but to then also have that attacking element and produce and create not just create but also convert it was the overall package for Motherwell um, and based on We've seen flashes of it in previous games and we keep hearing players and the, the management saying, we need to take this into the next game, we need to keep going and keep building. And it just kind of looked like on Saturday, it had kind of come to a head. Not saying that's the finished package by any means, but it just kind of looked like all the messages that they'd been putting into the players, it all kind of clicked, all kind of went into place. And it's just so, so important now to not then be complacent and go right that's it we've we've made it that's us we're safe we're 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 playing well again that's us we're on a we're on a streak now by no means that is definitely not where the the team are at and they've got to stay focused going into the next game with exactly the same mentality to prove that they can get over the line sooner rather than later but it's by no means the finished article yet it's a big confidence boost for motherwell and graham alexander Possible confidence boost for Kilmarnock. They got their first point under Tommy Wright, which ended an eight-match losing streak uh, against Dundee United at Rugby Park. Uh, Zek Medley scoring Kilmarnock's first goal in 571 minutes. It was his first for the club. It was Tommy Wright's first since he's came in as as manager, uh, but potentially making amends as well for his error uh, in the lead-up to, to 1-0 for, for United as well. JJ, what did you make of, of this game? Uh, it should have been a draw. <laughs> <laughs> it was a draw. Yeah. Well, it was a draw. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it was just both teams were kind of. I don't know. Like, the, the other thing that's weird about this is that Tommy Wright. So one of the problems, well, one of the things that when I spoke to Kilmarnock fans a while ago, they had with the team under Alex Dyer was that there was no consistency in what the lineups were, and Wright's trying to figure out what his best eleven is and how he wants to play, what system he wants to use. Changed. It's been like a four. What since he started, it's been a four-two-three-one was his first game. Then it's a four-one-four-one-four-one-four-one-four. And uh, to, today, I was about to say it's not today, but uh, whenever this day was in the past, <laughs> uh, three-man defence, three-four-three. It's the it's all the rage in Scottish football this year, and they're going for it. So you focus most of your play out wide. Um, we had most of the possession. Uh, they were f- just okay. I just. It's sort of the thing with like with Motherwell, right? When they got their best players back, suddenly they were much better. If Kilmarnock had better players, they'd be much better than they are. They're just not that good. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, but it's not, yeah. are the players not? He's brought in Kyle Lafferty, and he's someone who's always going to just you know shoot from distance, which he did. To be honest, he's the type of player that I can imagine on the field is a pain in the ass to play against and to play with. <laughs> because he's someone who will grab you and try and drag you through a game. Um, I just wonder if Tommy Wright brought him in, not just because he was available, but because he thinks he's the type of player that his other um, players need to try and galvanise them in such a way. I don't think Kilmarnock have been... I think they've got the players. I just think the players haven't been performing at the levels that they should be. What do you think, Laura? No, I would, I would kind of agree with that in that sense. Lafferty, I feel like, is going to be a difference for them, though. Um, is he fully up to, to fitness yet? That's, I, kind of, I wasn't sure if he's completely up to scratch yet, but I feel like when he does come into his game, he's probably going to be the difference between them going down, maybe. Uh, I know we talked in previous weeks about Tommy Wright being the kind of short-term answer, definitely can, can keep them afloat, get them alive, until he kind of gets his, his own squad in place for the after the summer. Um, Colin Doyle, I thought, was a massive one for Killy on Saturday. Um, I think he 
made such a difference for them. So when you've got Lafferty up front making a difference and you've got Doyle at the back making a difference, I, it's worrying times for them in the sense of the position of the table, but that was a huge point for them. Um, I think that the United will probably hurt more through that result because it kind of rules out top six for them. Not mathematically, but I think it's just maybe slightly out of their grasp now. Um, they're four points behind St Mirren. They're sitting on 35 points, I think, with two games to go. I just feel like they've maybe just missed. I think they're going to really rue the 5-1 defeat to St Mirren a couple of weeks back. Um, and I don't think they're probably going to recover from that in terms of their position on the table. I don't think they're going to get dragged into a relegation battle. I think they will probably finish around best of the, the bottom half. But in saying that, I mean, I'm saying that, is that oh, it's unfortunate that they're going to miss out. But I think the fans are probably going to be quite satisfied as long as they just secure their place in the league. As soon as that gets mathematically confirmed, then I think the stress comes off and they'll be able to kind of focus more on their performances and put more effort into that side of things. I think just now it's just get the points, get the safety. And um, first year back in the league, let's worry about everything else afterwards. Yeah, Dundee United up against Celtic and then Aberdeen uh, before the split. And I agree with you, Laura. I think uh, survival at this level is acceptable um, for Dundee United. Finally, we'll talk about St Mirren edging out Ross County 1-0 in Paisley on Saturday. Uh, St Mirren looking good to finish in the top half for the first time since 1985. Uh, One defeat in seven now for Jim Goodwin, uh, who himself actually admitted that a draw would have been a fair one in this game. Uh, probably because of Colin Quanner's, uh, the, well, the penalty that was that was awarded to St Mirren after Colin Quanner was filled by Leo Hielda. Is that a penalty for uh, you? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Laura, what do you think? No! I don't <laughs> think it was a penalty for Jim Goodwin, which is what I was trying to get. Is that right? Uh, what, he, he thinks yeah. it would have been fair enough for a draw. I've uh, not heard what you said. What did he say about the penalty? Uh, he, he doesn't really mention the penalty. He just says, I think a, a draw was a fair result. Yeah. Would have yeah, been a fair He also says something along the lines of, um, if I don't think my player deserved a penalty, I would say it's not a penalty. Um, but just conveniently hadn't seen the replay of the incident when he did that post-match interview. Um, I mean, John Hughes said it was a dive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good old Yogi just saying it as it is. <laughs> Well, it's it's not so much a, it's a clever move from um, from Quanner because he I know what you're trying forces to say, the yeah. initial intact. Uh, it's contact. such a weasel move. It's a weasel move, but it's worked. He absolutely crumbles. Yeah. He just crumbles. Where's the foul? You know yeah. the contact's coming. You like even if it's a foul and you stay in your feet, you're never getting a, a, a penalty for it. But if you go down, I mean, it's worth trying. It's uh, really weaselly. You hate it against your team, but when. Your team does it. You're like, no, well, no, no, not accept- never acceptable. Never acceptable in any shape or form. Just stop cheating. Stop diving. Stop falling down inside the box. I sort of agree with you, Laura, but unfortunately it's um, this brave, honest attitude that has held Scottish football and <laughs> footballers back for a long time. It's the same thing in England for a while. No, do it for the integrity of the game. Be brave and, and uh, stay to the rules and enjoy some tea afterwards. But actually, the ones who are winning are the ones who are um, bending the rules because they're so desperate to win that they'll find a way to do it. The man of the match was Jack Anik. What a save he made from first Jordan White's header. Um, and then I, I can't remember who the second player was who, who crashed the bar. But, I'm glad you said uh, that. A, a no, it was, ma- the, it was his second save after the header. So he pushed the header's a reaction save, which is really good, and he pushes it over. But it's the, it's the reaction save after that. So he gets up and then gets down to block the next one, which I thought was... Stephen uh, Kelly. That's really, was, yeah. really good save. Um, yeah, so the header, close range, straight at him. So he's got to push it over, which is a good reaction. Mm-hmm. But he gets down again straight away to block the next one. Really good. Um, yeah. If if Motherwell pull themselves clear, um, it looks like it's going to be Ross County, Kilmarnock and Hamilton battling to avoid the bottom two places. I'll ask your guys' opinion on what you think's going to happen at, at this stage. You know, we're not far away from the end. Who's going to finish bottom? Who's going to finish in the playoff places, Laura? I go on a tenth fate. I really can't. I can't look at that and then predict. Hopefully, it's going to be one of those three teams, just in case Motherwell are still involved in it. But um, I, oh, my hunch is saying Hamilton. Um, just based on purely because what we're saying about Kelly, I think they're going to have enough to turn it around. I think Ross County have done so well under John Hughes since he's taken over. But I cannot 
sit here and, and talk so confidently. I, I'd love to um, and be like, oh yeah, look at them down the bottom of the table. It's <laughs> a shame. Uh, well, Hamilton have got two games in hand on Kilmarnock and they're only a point behind them. Well, that's the thing. Hamilton do have two games in hand now um, and those two games are massive. I don't actually know who the two games are against, but six points could completely turn things around for them. Uh, so I, I just think it's, it's still too early. I know I, I don't know if you guys have felt the same, but I feel like I've just kind of blinked. Uh, it was it was Christmas and it was January. And it was cold, dark nights, and I've just sort of blinked, and all of a sudden it's it's spring and it's it's, it's daylight for so much longer, and suddenly it feels like everyone's gearing up for the end of the season, and I'm a bit like, where did the time go? Where did <laughs> that sort of um, February kind of time go? I know, I mean, well, Motherwell had about twenty seven games in that stretch, but still, I kind of feel like how are we now talking about the end of the season? so quickly um but i still feel like it's far too early to kind of look it's it's going to be it's going to be tough for hamilton jj because they've got st johnston um and then livingston yeah yeah that well no they've got aberdeen after st johnston then livingston and then it finishes with st mirren yeah i think the the two worst teams in the division just now are kilmarnock and ross county they're they're, they're Mm. the worst teams i think uh hamilton i think have enough about them to finish 10th uh, I don't think the underlying numbers as well the Motherwell even that Hibs game I know that like you like the performance like the underlying numbers suggest that there's they're not safe at all even though they got that win out of it I I think I think they've got good enough players to get out of it but I I what I see when I watch like when I like I went through and watched like I've watched all the games this week on like yeah. double speed and I think I just, I. Don't see enough in Ross County to really get out of it. Hamilton, there's just something about them, and they've got—I don't know—there's something the way they're built. But predicting is a fool's a fool's endeavour. <laughs> here I am. Well, we don't know who'll fall into the championship, but what is going on in the championship right now? Let's have a deep dive into it. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on the Athletic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Before we go into that deep dive, we have to hear from our friends Paddy Power, courtesy of producer Charlie. Busy Saturday of Premiership action coming up, Charlie. Yes, and Mirren are the next team to make the trip to Ibrox and their odds to win are bigger than David Weir's glasses. So let's maybe call that <laughs> a home victory. Saturday's fixtures at three o'clock are Rangers against St Mirren, plus Aberdeen v Hamilton, Motherwell v Livingston, Ross County v Kilmarnock and St Johnston v Hibbs. Because we're always looking at ways to make JJ and Laura happy, how about an acre of five home wins on Saturday with Paddy Power at 43 to one? How about it? Sound likely? No. (laughs) (laughs) But more importantly, if you haven't seen uh, David Weir's bins, uh, on his head, you should Google it because they are weighty. Uh, you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop it. Right, we've talked about the fight for survival. Let's discuss the race to get into the Premiership with our old friend Ewan Booth Robertson from Lanarkshire Live. All right, Ewan, it looks kind of likely that Hearts are going to win the league. We've kind of spoken about this before. Um, but is it fair to say Hearts fans aren't too happy with the way Robbie Nielsen and his players are, are doing it? It's three draws in a row now. Yeah, it's probably underestimating um, how dishappy they are, unhappy they are, even with the current performances. <laughs> and you can understand why, I suppose, you know, three 1-1 draws on the bounds. This is Hearts. Hearts are Malovian football club that should be romping away with this league and they still kind of are but performances haven't been great I do worry over some recruitment issues that they've had in previous seasons if you look at Hearts they should be fighting to finish third or fourth in the Premiership every season but here we are they're in the Championship again a lot of that is down to recruitment and I look at some of the business they've done I know Gary McKay Stephen came in with a big reputation from New York but he played in America for a reason you know he was great a few years ago but it's probably a reason why he's playing the championship and I just think the style of football's not been great but it's what's expected of a Nielsen side isn't it he'll always get the job done and I think fundamentally that's the most important aspect of this season for them We've got um, a big game on Friday night as well Wraith Rovers hosting rivals Dunfermline um, who looks to be the stronger bet for the Premiership out of those two? 
I'd probably go with Rafe Rovers. I think they're a far more exciting team to watch. I know they get promoted from League One last season after winning the league. And they just look better to me on paper. I think Dunfermline have stagnated recently. The last five, it's, it's two wins, three defeats. It was 2-0 draws before then. And worryingly for them, they've not won away in their last six league games. I don't think they've won away in the league since they beat Aloha 4-1 back in October. So, you know, going away to their rivals will be a real concern. Plus, I, I really like John McGlynn. They've got some exciting players like Kai Kennedy, Dylan Tate, Regan Henry. They've got some experience at the back. They've got a, a great experienced goalkeeper in Jamie McDonald as well. I just think that they've got a better balance of their squad at the moment and I'll go out and say this, a, a better manager. I mean, it seems like massively up for grabs right now. Isn't it something like 10 points splitting between second place and ninth place? Literally anything can happen. It's no surprise that there's so many teams kind of joined together in this battle to go up. You've got teams that have played different amount of games, like Inverness, for example, are a little bit down the league, but they've got games in hand and expect them to do quite well under Neil McCann, who I really like as a, a guy and a manager. I think Hearts are going to win the league. I said it the first time I was ever invited on the show. I always said it was a matter of how many points, not if they'd win it. So I'd go with Wraith Rovers. And you, you do expect Dundee to kind of pick up form and get in there eventually. They've got to, surely. And uh, after mentioning Dunfermline, I couldn't not mention uh, Queen of the South because it was a good win for them again. And I look at Queen's, it's an amazing turnaround because they were bottom of the table in Boxing Day. They're now fourth. They've won six out of nine. Um, and it's just Alawa that seemed to be the pain in the arse for Queen of the South. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> it's remarkable, really, what they're doing. I don't know how they're doing it. They're sitting in fourth in the table with a goal difference of minus nine. Now, <laughs> I don't think there's another league around the world that will have that. Can you think of any off the top of your head? Nope, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, there's only four teams that are positive goal difference in the league, but to be sitting in fourth place with a goal difference of minus nine, I know they took some heavy defeats at the start of the season, but I think they've got to give huge credit to Alan Johnson and Sandy Clark. They've done a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, they've recruited well, and they're, they're flying. They, they really are flying. When will it stop? It's quite interesting because they play our broth uh, at the weekend, and that's in the la- across the last six games. It's the two form sides, and who would have thought that uh, at the start of the season? How about Championship Manager Legend Mark Kerr? He's uh, gone from Air United. What's happened there? Apparently, he was simulating it on his um, football manager game and it wasn't working properly, so he had to go away. Um, no. <laughs> kept taking control of delete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't just quit after that big game defeat and then just uh, log back in again. Um, I really like Mark Kerr. I just think that. Just kind of everything went against him this season, really. You know, he brought in Bruce Anderson at the start of the season to be his main man, his main goal scorer. Uh, didn't score in the league. <laughs> then goes to Hamilton and, and starts to fire goals in. So it's like, as a, as a manager, you must be tearing your hair out. Uh, pardon the pun. But it's just like, where did your go from here? You know, did they bring in a steady pair of hands? Like, I think Martin Canning's been linked. I believe that David Hopkins has been linked as well. Mm-hmm. It's just a it's a strange time because you can't really take a gamble on a kind of younger manager, or can you? Because you take a gamble and you get relegated. It's and it's a new you've got a new chairman came in at the moment, so I always think it's good going for the gamble because you like the positives you could get out of it should surely outweigh in the future just getting the you know you get one of the just generic names in who come in and they do a job and they stabilise it. Nothing ever happens. But what if you get a superstar in? I completely agree with you, but whenever there's a left field appointment in Scottish football, it seems to get hugely criticised. I think back to yeah, you yeah. know uh, Daniel Stendel and famously Ian Caffrey, or maybe it's just Hearts <laughs> managers. <laughs> <laughs> but whenever we whenever we seem to bring in a, a new manager into the country, it's like, well, what about the the roundabout of managers that could have been in here? You know? Oh yeah, they don't know the league. Yeah. I was going to say Jim McIntyre just came straight to the top of my head. Even Presley uh, dusting off his suit. Um, and, and famously, of course, John Hughes would have been on there uh, front of the list, but he's doing a cracking job at Ross County. So I suppose that shows the benefits of maybe going with someone with a bit more experience. Well, there we go. That's what's happening in the Championship. But that's it from us. Thank you for listening. Thanks, JJ. Thanks to Laura. Thanks to Ewan. Honestly, 
I, I can't say how good a performance you guys have put in tonight. It's been a wonderful performance, and that's all I want to talk about. Obviously, the little kicks as well. What a performance from them. An amazing theme song. Just, just that's all I want to say. We'll be back next Tuesday as well to have another great performance. Have a great week. Have a great performance. We'll speak to you then. <laughs> have a great performance. <laughs> You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Scottish Football Show is a Money Needs Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. <laughs>